Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. A new head coach and boy genius Mike McDaniel, the fastest cheetah to ever roam the football field, and an actual left tackle? Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. Before we jump into a fresh episode of Finsider Radio, Jake and Josh want you to please, please, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't yet. Subscribing to the show is the best way to know when Jake and Josh have something cooking in the kitchen. iTunes, Spotify, it doesn't matter. Following helps others find the show, and we want to thank you for that. Now, let's talk some dolphins. It is finally time to turn the page on week one, but before we do, we want to share some thoughts with our good pal, Merrick Brave. Welcome into Finsider Radio. This is the Jake and Josh Show. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm yet to find a smooth way to introduce two people, so I'm just going <laughs> to go down the list. We'll start with Merrick. Merrick, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, man. I am doing well. Very excited and happy to be back with you guys. I had so much fun last week. We decided to do it again. Joshua Houts, what's going on? Baby's sleeping, so I get to talk to you two fools about the team that we all love, so <laughs> I could not be better. We were joking between, before the show that, you know, Josh is wearing a beanie, Merrick doesn't have sleeves, and I'm over here in a windbreaker, so we pretty much have everyone covered, every single personality, and we're excited to have all you guys joining us today. Um, so yeah, we know the Dolphins won week one. Um, some t- people on Twitter might not necessarily think of it that way. Uh, but the Dolphins are coming off a 20 to seven win over the Patriots. And, and Merrick, I want to get your thoughts on this, but this is about as breaking news as we're going to get around here. Joshua, Darth Cater, what on earth is happening with the Darth Cater nickname? What is going on here? Dude, I have no idea. And I don't even know if he <laughs> likes it yet. I mean, I think today he kind of embraced it because he had to, because Jason McCourty, uh, they were talking about, I guess, Cater on. Good morning football. He shouted out, I guess they're calling him Darth Cater. So I guess he has to, you know, that's his name, whether he likes it or not. But um, dude, that joke, you know, it was just something that we quickly said because we read off his name and um, it, it looks like it's going to stick. But we need to get him in that Ezekiel Elliott helmet with the the Pfizer. I need to see him in that. Yeah, he did the perfect like um, way to break a guy's heart without turning him down. It's saying, no, I won't not date you, basically. Uh, Cater came out and said, Darth Cater is cool. I like it. Let's see if we can come up with another one. That's Master Cater. Play. Master Cater didn't work. He didn't like that one. I think that's when he realized Darth Cater was pretty good. <laughs> he definitely did the, he, he did the, your, your kid comes home from school with his painting and you just pat on the head. Good job, honey. We'll put this on the fridge and we'll just put it upside down, but it will be up on the fridge. Merrick, what are your thoughts on the nickname? I love it. Did Josh come up with that? That was, that was a Finsider. Yeah, basically, I mean, unless we don't somebody know else did it, names. I mean, yeah, yeah, we don't know how to pronounce names, so we just went with it. But um, unless someone right. else beat us to it, but I mean, I don't think it was that out of the box. But if he likes it, if everyone else likes it, why not play the music? Like I said on on defense, you know, have that music in the background, Jake. You know how it goes. Oh, that yeah. pretty much, of course. 
So Merrick, to kind of transition a little bit here, get, you were on the Twitter space last night, every Tuesday, be sure to check out the Fin Center on Twitter for the Twitter space. I was there, I'm an old man, so I had the headphones in, but I wasn't saying anything. Um, and, and you spoke a bit about the game and I'm excited to get your thoughts about Baltimore, but um, Merrick, first and foremost, I mean, week one, man, you can't ask for more than a win. No, man, it was exciting. I had, uh, had my boys over, they're six and 11. They were all dressed head to toe in their Dolphins gear. I think my my 11-year-old had a throwback Dan Marino on. My youngest had a, a waddle. I was wearing the throwback Tyreek Hill, and we were ready to rock and roll. Uh, one thing that's funny about that is my my neighbor, who lives kind of catty-corner to me, but our driveways kind of meet in the alley behind my house, he's a huge Patriots fan. So I'm a Dolphins fan living in Iowa. He's a Patriots fan <laughs> living in Iowa. What are the odds we'd live like two houses down from each other? But, uh, you know, early on in the season, it's warm enough that you can watch the game with your windows open. So, you know, we go up 17 to nothing at halftime with that 42-yard pass to, to Jalen Waddle for the touchdown. And I'm hooting and hollering and screaming as loud as I can. And I can just imagine him sitting in his living room with his window <laughs> open, you know, just sulking. And, and that, that gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling inside because for, for the last two decades, those roles have been reversed. And I know the Dolphins traditionally play the Patriots well, especially in Miami, but... Uh, at the end of the season, we're normally the ones sulking in a dark mm -hmm. corner in our, our living rooms. But uh, this time, my neighbor got a taste of his own medicine. So. <laughs> That's what makes this podcast a little unique. None of us are from Miami. So, so Josh, I want to ask you, uh, did you have all three girls all saddled up in, in throwback Tyreek Hill jerseys? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I told you guys this, but I told my oldest daughter about how the Dolphins, you know, daddy's Dolphins play on the weekend. She came down on Saturday. She ran up to her room, came down with her Dan Marino jersey on. This thing was on backwards and I just melted my heart. So uh, she <laughs> yes. she wore a Tua jersey then on Sunday. Um, couldn't get the middle daughter in one. And then the, the baby really doesn't have a say. So two of the three house kids <laughs> were repping the Dolphins. And, you know, that equated to a victory. But um, Merrick mentioned that Jalen Waddle play. I want to get both your thoughts on just, again, we talked about a little bit, Jake, but that is just such a, I guess ballsy call in that situation, a fourth and seven. I think Tyreek even joked, you know, he's going to be carrying his, uh, Mike McDaniel was carrying his uh, nuts around a wheelbarrow all week because of that play call. You know, you just picture the South Park image, but give me your thoughts. Cause again, from all the offensive coaches that have come before, it just seemed like a little bit of a different um, look at the game. And that's just what we wanted here in Miami. Yeah, Merrick, you can go first on this one. Yeah, I think you had a couple options there. You could uh, punt the ball away, which is the conservative option. Um, you could do a, a Nathaniel Hackett. Yep, I was uh, waiting for <laughs> Long field goal. But if you miss, the Patriots have three timeouts at that point, and they'd have the ball on uh, their side of the field. They would only need one or two plays to get within field goal range, and you're looking at a, a 10 to 3 game uh, instead of what ended up being a 17 to nothing game at half. Or you can do the ballsy thing, which is what Mike McDaniel did, and you can go for it. Uh, I think he said John Embry was the one that kind of swayed him in that direction. And then Tua made a great play looking off the linebacker, getting the linebacker to shade to his right, uh, Tua's left. And then Tua threw the ball perfectly in stride to Jalen Waddle, who turned on the Jets and took it for 42 yards. Uh, that's what happens when you got receivers that are as fast as lightning. So I thought it was fantastic. It was a great way to end the first half. Uh, and it left a lot of Patriots fans feeling very dejected. 
helpless. Helpless is a good way to put it. And, and this kind of opens up a bigger question about the offense in general, because um, Mike McDaniel, I think it was him. He spoke a little bit about the play. And the one thing he noted, it was a lot about leverage and how the Patriots line up on fourth down and how they saw the look. They knew what look they were going to get and they were ready for it. And I, I want both your guys thoughts here. How do we feel? I mean, it's it's been one game, right? We've had 64, whatever it may be, plays. This offense doesn't feel like one every play. We know what's happening. And I say that as a good thing because I feel like the last three, four years, it's been a very like basic offense. I mean, I remember being so jazzed up that uh, uh, Bill Lazor used pre-snap motion with Brandon Gibson. Like I remember being that excited of having a guy move pre-snap. So I'm just kind of curious on how you guys feel. I mean, this is an offense. I don't think we can really predict nearly as much as we've been able to in the past. I mean, you could go back to three years ago and see multiple, multiple drives where it was uh, incomplete on first down run for negative two yards on second, and then your quarterback gets sacked on, on, you know, third and 12. But this year, you know, there was 15 third downs in week one. Seven of those were from three or less yards. This was an offense that knew every single situation it was in, and they were never caught off guard. There was no Nathaniel Hackett being worried. I'm too caught up in the moment. This was a group that knew exactly what it needed to do in any situation. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think that's exciting moving forward. Uh, Mike McDaniel clearly had put an emphasis on getting his playmakers the, the ball, especially Tyreek Hill, who was just unguardable in that mm-hmm. first half. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. The pre-stat motions. I think somebody said that uh, McDaniel was using Tyreek as if he were in the Canadian football league, just getting him yep. up to speed uh, at, at full speed before the ball was even snapped. And Tyreek Hill's real fast, uh, after the ball snapped, but if you can get him up to speed before the ball is snapped and then even faster, once it is, whew, good luck with that. Josh, I know you watched the all 44, so so get share some thoughts. All 44, 69K. I mean, I have a tweet up here where the Dolphins use 70, uh, 74.6% of their snaps. They use pre-snap shift and motion. And you guys both mentioned it, the ability to get Tyreek Hill in motion at full speed. Don't allow the cornerback to really get his hands on him. I mean, you could see what type of weapon it was. I mean, the corners had to respect the vertical routes. He would easily just come back down and settle. And you can kind of see how, even though the deep ball wasn't there, the Dolphins continued, like Merrick said, giving their playmakers the, the ball and letting them do some things. I mean, we saw Tyree Kill make some plays. He even got some, I think, one carry for six yards. Um, Again, made some plays in the passing game. And then you saw the same thing with Jalen Waddle. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but Chase Edmonds, I mean, he's really starting to come on. I know that running back room, um, you know, heading into the year they were both listed as starters but chase Edmonds, he was not only a factor between the tackles you know doing some of those things but he was also a factor in the passing game on third down he was helping protect Tua in pass coverage did a little bit of everything so um one of the plays that stood out to me at least most you know shifting from Tyreek kill to maybe some of these other players was that one chase Edmonds third and nine he, you know he almost went out of bounds stayed on his feet like a cat being dropped out of the you know the top floor of a building um it was impressive to see and you just continue to see all the different pieces that this Dolphins offense truly has and how Mike McDaniel is kind of going to use some of these dudes. Tua closed week one, fifth in AFC passer rating. So, you know, top half of the of the conference is a pretty nice feeling. It was the highest passer rating of a Dolphins QB since Ryan Tannehill in the Miami Miracle, Miracle in Miami. I don't know who decided what the actual name is uh, back in 2018. And guys, I, I don't know about you, but I am a real big fan of the podcast. Pardon my take, uh, you know, I think an issue a lot of uh, football fans have is is we take ourselves too seriously. And I think they do a really good job of just reminding us we're all idiots and, and football's meant to be fun above all else. I mean, my Jay Cutler jersey is signed by Big Cat. 
Uh, but what I'm trying to get here is uh, today they had Ryan Fitzpatrick on and he was talking about elite quarterbacks and quarterback play in general. And he was asked about Tua because, I mean, just such a polarizing figure. And I thought he had a really good uh, way to describe how Tua is, what he is, what he can be um, and what to be worried about. He basically, you know, went down the list of, of talented quarterbacks, top quarterbacks and could pick out that elite trait that, hey, if everything's going wrong they can kind of carry their team with this you know Justin Herbert's arm you know Josh Allen even his arm Tom Brady his his ability to break out of the pocket his accuracy he mentioned for Tua it's the precision and the timing however we've seen times in the past where the precision and the timing are great the decision making struggles so I'm just kind of curious to you for you guys because it seems like Tua is a big Pandora's box and we can't be happy and, and we can't be content saying hey he played decent we're good. You know, we won. Everyone played well. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious on how you guys have felt about the the discourse around Tua so far, because I, if you haven't checked out that interview with Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I thought it was a great way of really looking at someone's ability without, you know, instantly, oh, geez, he's hating on him, anything along those lines. So I think I said it on the spaces last night, but I think Tua played well. Did Tua play great? No. Was he awful? No. He still had a couple of those boneheaded plays where you, you're left shaking your head afterwards going, man, what is this guy thinking? Mm -hmm. But thankfully, this time they didn't result in any turnovers. So I think if you went into that game being a fan of Tua, there's plenty to point to for you to say, hey, look, I'm right. Tua's a good football player. Tua's a good quarterback. He's the future of the Miami Dolphins. And if you went into that game thinking the opposite, if you went in being a Tua detractor, there was plenty of stuff that would leave you, you know, mm -hmm. pointing at the other guys and saying, no, 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 two is not good. I'm right. You're wrong. So I don't think we got any definitive answers on Tua during week one, but that's the thing. It's week one. And he's in a new offensive scheme with new weapons. And, you know, they say that it takes about half a season before an offense starts really gelling and humming while learning a new offensive scheme. So I don't think you're going to be able to take a lot away from, from week one, but let's see how he does week two, three, four, five, and, and so on. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, people call me a dolphin uh, to a stand, you know, and I mean, I had a left arm of God, so maybe some of that's true, but you can see, you know, um, you're still on the fence, right? I mean, all of us that have his Jersey, you know, have been rooting for him. You're still a little bit on the fence and want to see more, but you did not go into this game and shift your, um, you know, your thoughts on Tua based off this one performance completed 20 to 33 passes over 270 yards at one touchdown. But like you said, Merrick, this was his first time in this offense, you know, this first time all these guys were kind of gelling together. And then you also had um, Mike McDaniel calling his first game as head coach. He, they both admitted that there were issues getting the plays in there, miscommunication with this. I mean, some people that are listening to this that are haters, you know, that don't like to it. They'd be calling all these excuses, but um, I think we all just need to calm down. I guess the question I have, and I want to get both your thoughts. I'm pretty sure that ball was tipped by Matt Judon, but um, this <laughs> is all that Twitter's been talking about for what are we on 72 hours now? So um, tell me your guys' thoughts on that play, because let's be honest, Tyreek Hill was streaking wide open. If that ball's not, in my opinion, tipped, that's six right out the gate. Yeah, Merrick, this is all you. I'm taking a stand. I, I, I haven't watched it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm, I'm blacklisting the play. So did Tua talk about this during his availability on Wednesday today uh, at practice? Did we hear from him? I know he had said that he, that was one of the plays that he wished he could have back, um, but he didn't say one way or another, whether that ball was tipped. I think we're kind of breaking it down. Like there's a Pruder film right now, yep. you know, did Judon get a thumb on it? 
or did Tua just have to change his arm angle? I don't know. Uh, could have been uh, a face mask know, too. I've heard. Could have been <laughs> well, a whole other person. It could, there could have been a second blocker. <laughs> Again, an impostor. But uh, all I know is Tua's four and zero against the New England Patriots, and that was his highest graded game against the New England Patriots. That was the most passing yards he's ever ever had against the New England Patriots, and he's the first quarterback to ever win four consecutive games against a Bill Belichick coach Patriots team. So it's really hard to nitpick that we won the game 20 to seven, and now we move on. And I think it's important to keep in mind here. Like you don't need the highlights every week. I think everybody, whether you like them or don't, you, you can set on the fact of, Hey, week one, he played average. The team scored a touchdown. They made it to the red zone twice. Obviously those two um, red zone drives finished with field goals, but Hey, every football player isn't at their best every week to say that this is an average performance from Tua and you get 20 points against a pretty decent defense. I mean, we've been saying for years, there's a threshold of 24 points a game. If you can score 24 points a game on average, you're a playoff team. So when you put it, sorry to interrupt you, Jake, No, it's, it's week one. There's Russ. Exactly. The Dolphins weren't the only offense to struggle. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I know he left early, and Julio Jones and, and, and Leonard Fournette, and, oh, the greatest quarterback who's ever played in the National Football League, not named Dan Marino, uh, and they scored 19 points against mm-hmm. uh, Dallas Cowboys defense that, frankly, isn't as good as a New England Patriots defense. So, I mean, there are a lot of teams that struggled during week one a lot of teams are trying to get their footing and the dolphins aren't immune to that and there will be weeks you know you hit on those two red zone drives and all of a sudden we're talking about this game uh you know with an extra eight points on the board and you're talking 28 to 7 and our entire tone's different i mean there are going to be weeks where Tua hits on those and and the dolphins win like that and you know it's important to keep in mind Tua is being paid as a rookie quarterback the way Tua's contract is set up for if there are weeks where everyone around him struggles it's not on him to you know carry the offense that's why you pay Tyreek Hill that's why you pay Teron Armstead that's why you pay these different guys is because he's we're still trying to figure out if you know if it's four degrees in Tennessee in late January if he can be the guy but we're not worried about about that right now we're worried about the fact he played average and the offense looked pretty damn good there'll be weeks he plays incredibly well and you score those 28 points there'll be weeks where he struggles and you know we're hoping you pay Tyree Kill to break a 90 yard run whatever it may be to overcome that obstacle so my question is if we're paying Tyreek to do that and Teron to do that then what the hell are we paying Mike Gasicki for that oh what a segue one target one catch one yard 10.9 million dollars what are we doing? You I don't know, even know that you can trade again, him at this point. I mean, who's who's calling for him? Is anybody calling for him around the league? I mean, I, I don't want to overreact too much. Again, it's week one, and even McDaniel said himself he was surprised um, how little Gasicki touched the ball. Again, it was one time, um, and that you know, going further or going going, you know, deeper into the season. Gesicki will have a larger role and you got to remember that George Kittle, you know, all pro tight end for the San Francisco 49ers. He wasn't catching 10 balls every game. You know, if you owned him in fantasy, you know, there were a few weeks sprinkled in where he was tasked to block and do other things. And he had two catches for 21 yards and no touchdowns. So uh, hopefully uh, in terms of Gesicki's role on this team, week one is an outlier and he can add 
you know, as we, as we move forward, he can add his receiving skills to what the rest of the offense brings. And if he does, I think we've got a pretty uh, formidable unit. And it's one of those scenarios too. If Tua is, you know, a below average, all of a sudden, Mike Kosicki, you need to help us out here. Uh, Josh and I spoke about it a little bit. I mean, you could tell after he had that one catch and he was taken down, like he slams the ball on the ground. You could kind of get the sense of he knew uh, that this was going to be one of his only opportunities. So, I mean, I'm not going to call Mike McDaniel a liar, but I do think that was probably part of the game plan that, you know, okay, he caught it once. Maybe you tried to get it to him four times, but I don't think he was ever, It's at least in week one, supposed to be like a main focal point of the offense. My concern is if Mike Kosicki doesn't step up, who's, you know, who's going to? Hunter Long, I don't think he really did much. I think Smythe had a catch and then he got spiked on his head. I know they speak very highly of Tanner Connor. So, I mean, that's a guy who we've heard different things about throughout camp. I mean, every chance John Ember gets to talk about him, you know, if you heard Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. speak glowingly about him. So maybe that's the guy that can come in here and be that tight end this offense. But um, yeah, I need to see a little bit more out of Mike Kosicki, especially if we're paying that much money. We're talking about all this offense. Let's shift our focus to the offensive line because in our previous podcast, Jake, you know, I kind of joked Connor Williams was the highest graded PFF guy, you know, that high snap, this and that. When you go back and look at the tape, I mean, he was honestly mauling dudes. I mean, there was one play to Jalen Waddle where he's down the field. Yes, it was a defensive back, but he's pretty much chokeslamming this dude into oblivion. So um, I liked what I saw to Connor Williams, but give me your thoughts on that offensive line as a whole and then, you know, what they might do moving forward because as we all know, uh, the injury report came out today. Teron Armstead didn't participate. Austin Jackson did not participate. And when you're paying Teron Armstead all that money, when you were hoping he was going to be that anchor, I mean, for him to... Uh, yes, he came back in that game, but if he's going to miss time, you know, we knew it was going to happen, but one game into the year, I mean, that would, uh, that would be that. So dolphins, right. I mean, everyone says this stop being such a pessimist, but when you, when you pay Teron Armstead that type of money and he gets hurt in his first game, I mean, what the, what the hell, right? Well, as far as Armstead goes, uh, he only missed a couple plays on Sunday. He came back, he finished the game. Uh, he had a lot of veteran rest days throughout the off season, throughout training camp. Uh, this could be one of those days, uh, We'll see what happens as the week progresses, but I'm getting a sense that his injury, not that big of a deal. He doesn't need the practice. He's a great player. He's going to be just fine. Greg Little, also maybe not that big of a deal. Maybe a little bit more of an issue with Austin Jackson and that ankle. Um, but, I mean, it's Austin Jackson. Are we, are we like, is there really that big of a drop-off if you go from Austin Jackson to Greg Little? And then they signed Brandon Shell, not going to play for a week or two while he gets up to speed. But uh, I think we're going to be okay on Armstead. I think we're going to be okay on Little. We'll wait and see on Austin Jackson. But I want to go back to that, that point on Connor Williams being the highest-graded Dolphin uh, and mauling people when he had the opportunity. My, my one concern with Connor Williams is that he's the center. It's his job to make sure everybody else on the line knows their assignments. He needs to, to come up to the line of scrimmage, make the adjustments. And for my tastes, I thought there were too many free rushers for New England on Sunday. I thought there were too many you know, stunts uh, up the middle where, where somebody wasn't picked up, whether that be you know Robert Hunt uh, at right guard or, or Liam Eikenberg at left. And I do feel like some of that falls on Connor Williams. So I'm not trying to be a wet blanket here, but uh, you know, his, his blocking was above average. Uh, his snaps need a little bit of work. We saw a couple of high snaps there. Uh, and I do hope that the communication improves so that we don't have free rushers trying to take to his head off every week. All that considered. I mean, I, I look at, I, again, 
pro football focus grade. Use it as a tool. Don't base your entire opinion off it. But, you know, I look at the fact that to me, I mean, the, the first play of the game, high snap, nothing really caught me off guard after that. Merrick, you're more of a, a nitty gritty. You know, you're looking at all these players and every play more than I am. Uh, but to me, to put a blanket bias over this, seeing how well Connor Williams played after an entire offseason of this is our left guard. What are we doing here? That impresses me. The fact he played as well as he did, that impresses me more than any play call that that was, you know, came up on, on Sunday. That might be a little bit of a hot take, but the fact that we can see McDaniel's vision and it's a successful vision and it isn't necessarily one that's too out of this world. I mean, that to me says more about anything than, than, than any play that was called on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I saw a stat. Um, I can't remember who it was from, so my apologies there, but Tua had a, a full half a second more to throw on average in Sunday's game than he did for the entire season last year. It went from like 2.4 something to 2.9 something. And an extra half a second makes all the difference in the world Mm -hmm. when a quarterback, his superpower, like Ryan Fitzpatrick said, is his accuracy and his timing. So you need that extra half a second so that you can maximize those two things. I guess my thing is it goes back to the entire offense, right? I mean, the offensive line, this is our first time in live game action really coming together. So let's see the way they build upon this. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we mentioned how we should be good with Greg Little, this and that. I mean, we're really just comparing it to these previous Dolphin offensive lines that have been so bad. So, um, again, we're all sitting here saying how improved they looked and this and that, but they're still, what, middle of the pack? I mean, and with that's this all, all we want. That's all I was going <laughs> to say. With the stat, with the players they have in place in this offense, that's really all you need. But I will be a little concerned if, you know, again, I don't think the draft off of Dustin Jackson's that big, but if Teron Armstead misses any time this year, that's going to make me feel a little queasy. To put a nail in the coffin here, Barry Jackson, Miami Herald, uh, 403, he tweeted out that Armstead has a toe injury, but also held out for veterans rest. McDaniel noncommittal about Sunday availability. That sounds to me pretty good, but man, I, I love I love Dolphin fans because the third response to the tweet, <laughs> toe injury led to OJ McDuffie's retirement. No <laughs> way. Like, oh my God. It is worth well, noting McDaniel said how, you know, he's a bad, basically Teron Armstead's a bad SOB and has played through injuries before. So all these guys are going to want to play. But um, again, I, I think Mike McDaniel, one of the things that I would say is a negative with him is how he approaches these injury lists. I mean, we thought Byron Jones might be okay to start the season. You know, we uh, just one thing after another keeps coming up. So hopefully, hopefully he's right with this one. Teron Armstead's out there on Sunday because I don't know that you're beating the Baltimore Ravens without Armstead in the lineup. That's a that's a very good question. The the Baltimore Ravens are actually dealing with some injuries too. So Josh, killing it with the segues. Let's take a little break here. We'll close the book on the Patriots and let's talk a little Baltimore Ravens after the break. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament tonight. We'll break down. We break down who will be cutting. Cut. What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. 
Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, Mr. Positivity breaking in here as soon as I'm able to talk. Here we go. The Dolphins haven't won in Baltimore since 1997. I was three-year-old. The Dolphins are 0-4 in Baltimore since then, and they've been outscored 134-39. to Merrick, tell me why this year's different. Well, you, you just killed my spirit there. Like, I, <laughs> I was all ready to rock and roll, and then you hurt me. Well, I, I'll tell you why this year's different. We got the Cheetah. Mm-hmm. We got Teron Armstead. If he's healthy, I, I do think he'll play. We got Mike McDaniel coming in here. Boy genius over here. Remember how everyone was like, oh, man, he's going to revolutionize the running game. The Dolphins are finally going to have a running game. That didn't happen on Sunday. But what he did do was show his creativity in the passing game, which I thought uh, was something that was being overlooked because previously he had only been tasked to be a genius with the running game. And now he's asked to do both. And he showed his aptitude there. So um, the Ravens, we played them well last year. Granted, that game was in Miami, but we suffocated Lamar Jackson and we kind of exposed him a little bit, created the blueprint for, for the teams that followed. So I know John Harbaugh said that they worked on countering the cover zero blitz scheme this off season. So we'll see what they've got for us and see if we can uh, counter their counter. Uh, But they're also dealing with some injuries as well. They got some offensive tackles that are banged up. They got some defensive players who are banged up. Marcus Peters didn't play last week. Does he play this week? We don't know. Kyle Fuller tore his ACL. So he definitely won't be playing Uh, their injury report today had Calais Campbell, not practicing Justin Houston, not practicing. So if that Baltimore defense isn't at full strength, and then you trot out Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, uh, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Cedric Wilson, Mike Kosicki, who knows if Eric Azucama gets to play this week. But you, you put our offense out there against a banged, banged up Ravens defense, and I like our chances there. And if our defense can play like they did last year against the Ravens, then I like our chances there too. Um, I know that we've grown accustomed to fearing the Ravens as Dolphins fans because every time we make the playoffs – at least for the last 20 years, they've knocked us out, except for one loss to the Steelers, I believe. But, uh, you know, I think things are different. And it's not like the Ravens had a tremendous game uh, week one either. They were playing Absolutely. against the Jets, and they only put up 24 points, and they gave up nine points. So they gave up two more points than the Dolphins' defense did and only scored four more points than the Dolphins did. Um So I think it's going to be a close game, maybe a low scoring game, but I think the Dolphins have a better shot in this game than they have against Baltimore in years past. And to kind of build on their injury issues, I think Ronnie Staley, I think is the name of their uh, franchise left tackle. Ronnie Stanley. Stanley. Uh, He has, he suffered an injury. I think it was two years ago. Uh, Last year, he missed most of the year recovering. He's yet to play this year. And, And Baltimore's starting left tackle last week was actually old friend Juwan James. And he actually suffered, I think, a torn ACL as well. So we talk about Miami's offensive line issues. I don't think Baltimore's looking that much better. So, Josh, you've listened to so many quotes so far this week. Uh, give me give me your initial thoughts about Baltimore and how you're feeling about this matchup, other than Queasy. You can't say Queasy. No, Queasy. I, I, I'll try my best not to say Queasy. I mean, I think Merrick said it right. You know, we kind of had the blueprint from last year's 22-10 to 10 victory, you know, how to handle Lamar Jackson, how to handle this offense. But um, one of the things I guess that stuck out most was just Mike McDaniel joking how it takes an entire team, you know, to, to replicate what Lamar Jackson 
Gaskin can do. And I mean, isn't he the guy that you're trying to basically stop in this one? I mean, last time he threw the ball 43 times, 238 yards and a touchdown, one interception. He did look improved in that week one game, but again, it was against the Jets. But I think the way they use those versatile pieces, you know, Brandon Jones, Javon Holland, the way they've been using him a little bit, you know, um, I guess you need those linebackers to step up and someone maybe to keep an eye on Lamar Jackson. But I think the blueprints in place, blitz the hell out of him, you know, use that zero blitz that they did last season and good things should hopefully come. But I think Merrick's right. You know, so much of us remembers all those losses that we had to the Baltimore Ravens and it's a new, new year, new era. And why doesn't Mike McDaniel go up there and, you know, put his stamp on this thing? I mean, they kept saying how important this game was. You're going against an AFC opponent. I mean, if the Dolphins go up 2-0, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big hell of a way to start the season. And let me ask you guys who on that Baltimore offense scares you outside of Lamar Jackson. Bateman does does Rashad, Rashad Bateman, Bateman scare you I mean not with well, Xavier Howard but he's definitely one of their uh so there so there you go you match Bateman with Howard and then who else Mark Andrews Mark Andrews yeah okay so you so you Eric match Rose, him with he gonna Eric Rowe yeah there you Rowe go Eric Rowe sounds is, like he's getting better yeah he's trending upwards so you got Eric Rowe on him we got Darth Cater sneaking in there and sneaking in somewhere need him and popping people so I think when you match the Ravens offense up against the Dolphins defense, I think the clear advantage, if you take Lamar Jackson out of the equation, goes to the Dolphins defense. So now you add Lamar Jackson in, but oh, he's facing the cover zero blitz scheme that Josh Boyer loves to run. And we, we didn't see a lot of that against New England. So there might be some new wrinkles that he's ready to unveil against guys like Jackson and, and Josh Allen. Um I think we have the advantage when the Ravens are on offense, and I think things will be pretty even when the Dolphins are on offense. So I think it's a low-scoring game, but I really do think we have a great shot at at winning this one and starting the season 2-0. I always joke about only Sith dealing absolutes, and and you kind of see – you saw the absolute sides of the cover zero blitz because I think the Dolphins did it back in 2019 uh, when they got absolutely torched. I think that was, you know, the the tank for two a year. I think it was like 52 to 10. Marquise Hollywood Brown was just running behind the entire defense the entire time. Obviously, last year was different where they kind of contained that zero blitz. They didn't let any of the receivers get behind them. So I guess this is my long-winded way of saying – are we, how confident are we? I mean, you saw Devin Duvernay twice last week. I mean, this isn't, you know, a big time. This isn't Tyree Kill streaking behind defenses, but I mean, that's all it takes is those, those members of the secondary to look at Lamar Jackson for half a second for those guys to get behind him. So I'm curious your thoughts when you consider that, Hey, the dolphins are integrating a lot of these younger guys in the secondary, something we didn't necessarily expect. Uh, how confident can we be that, Hey, these guys aren't going to leak behind them. And, you know, if we think this is going to be a low scoring game, 170 yard bomb is a tidal wave in terms of changing momentum. Well, if you're going to get behind the defense, you got to get behind Javon Holland. And I think we all have a lot of faith in Javon Holland to, to play a good game uh, as he did last week against the Patriots and and many times last year as well. Uh, Another key piece to this Dolphins defense that we didn't see a lot of on Sunday um, that could help us defend Lamar Jackson this Sunday is Channing Tindall. That sideline to sideline speed from the linebacker position, he could spy Jackson this game and it, it could negate some of what Jackson does best. And that's his scrambling ability. I love that. I mean, that's something that we've heard people, you know, kind of refer to with Josh Allen. I guess my only concern is how many snaps did he play last week? I think he was mostly on special teams. So I don't know if this coaching staff maybe doesn't have faith in him. Maybe, you know, he's just finding uh, struggling to get on the field, but I mean, this would be that game for him to come out there. And like you said, spy Lamar Jackson, but um, it's already on paper. You know, the dolphins have a good idea of how to attack this thing. 
I'm just excited to see the way they play because let's be honest, um, you know, they beat New England, but that's whatever. Baltimore, I mean, that's a team that they could absolutely see in the playoffs as things go accordingly. So, I mean, these games early on have so much meaning and uh, on the road, just even that much more. So we'll see the way the Dolphins come out firing. And I think it's going to be, I, give us your prediction, Merrick. I'll wait till Jake and I do our podcast uh, tomorrow or on Friday before I get my prediction. But tell us what your thoughts are and who's going to, you know, be that difference maker in this one. I'm going to go with a Miami Dolphins victory, 17 to 16. Jason Sanders kicks a game-winning field goal as time expires. That's kind of what's fun, too, because, you know, we're talking about McDaniel's offense. We're talking about Josh Boyer's defense. We are in week one. We'll be we'll be back here in three weeks, and the way we're describing things is going to be so different. So I think it's going to be an interesting wrinkle because, Merrick, I think the best point we've made so far is the fact you, you show – McDaniel was flexing with his passing, you know, schemes that he was making. Everyone's going to be worried about those things. And those simple runs to the left, those stretch runs to the left, all of a sudden are going to be so much easier. So, I mean, there's a big chess match coming in and I'm very excited to see it because it's not going to be just one week. We have 16 more weeks, 16 more games, 17 more more games (laughs) to, to do that. So, so I think that's just kind of a way I wanted to wrap at least I wanted to get some final thoughts as we're taking down, but just keep in mind, this is all just, just beginning. So, I mean, there's a chance in two weeks, everybody knows exactly what Mike McDaniel wants to do. I don't think that's how it's going to go, but I mean, things are going to continue to change. We have not even just broken into what, what this offense, what even the defense is going to be. Yeah. And you know, like I said, Channing Tindall out there on defense, not playing a lot last week. Maybe he's the secret weapon this week. Maybe, maybe they saved him. Maybe they're going to take him out of the bubble wrap and, and unleash him on uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, but we'll see. It should be fun either way. Or maybe Jerome Baker will make some of that money that he's being paid, right? Maybe he'll go out there and earn that. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was, that was wrong. But that's another guy. I mean, I I see people talking on Twitter about uh, Miami's blue chips on, on defense and Jerome Baker I, I don't think he's been one of those guys that he definitely flashes he's a fun player to have on your team but but hey this is a perfect opportunity to have that you know hey don't forget about me type of game yeah and another player who didn't play last week who could help set the edge this week is Trey Flowers maybe he's up to speed and he's ready to slap on a, a an aqua and white jersey and, and kick the snot out of some Ravens we'll see man that front seven is going to be a lot of fun but that we're getting pulled off the the stage right now that timer is coming down so i just want to spend a minute here thank you guys so much for joining us merrick it's always such a blast to have you joining us as i punch my microphone here i apologize about that everyone i really suggest you go and follow merrick on twitter at mbrave13 at mbrave13 merrick it's always a blast to have you on it's great listening to you in the twitter spaces and man in in reality you in this Dolphins community is very special and a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us and thank you for being a part of the Finsider. Thank you for having me on. I love it. You guys, I'm going to listen whether I'm on or not, but it's uh, more fun for my kids when I am on. So (laughs) that is all we have. Josh mentioned it. We will be back with another preview pod later in the week, but until then, I hope everyone's having a blast out there. Go enjoy victory an entire week long and above all else, fins up. Fins up. Fins up. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins.
Cause we're the Miami Dolphins. 